InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Recent data suggests that about 1 in 100 U.S. children has some form of autism. But how can a parent know if their youngster could be one of them? InfoTrack's Roy Mackey is here to find out. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Dr. Karen Pierce is a neuroscientist at the University of California, San Diego, and she recently examined the effectiveness of a simple checklist to spot autism by age one. Dr. Pierce, welcome to InfoTrack. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Now, you conducted a study that looked at how well a checklist can work. Tell us what you did. What I did was I assembled a network of 137 pediatricians in San Diego, and I said to all of them, okay, I think we can detect autism at the first birthday because there are going to be some subtle signs of language delay. And if you use what's called a broadband screening tool, a screening tool that actually was designed to detect communication and language delay, not autism per se, if you administer that to all babies who come through your door for the one-year checkup, some of the babies that fail that screening tool are going to end up with autism. And we can catch them at 12 months and get them the early treatment that they need. And so it worked. And lo and behold, we screened 10,000 babies and... Anyone who failed came to our center for some in-depth evaluations of their social, their language, and their cognitive ability, and then we found that a percentage of those kids that failed did end up with autism, and we got everybody into early treatment, and so that's kind of the program in a nutshell. The checklist has 24 questions. Are they all concerned with language, or are there other behavioral things as well? No, it actually, a lot of the questions are what we call social communication, because language is really, people think of language as spoken speech, is the baby talking or not talking? But actually, social communication is more kind of the intent to communicate. So, for example, one of the earliest red flags for autism is a failure to engage in social attention. So a typical baby, if they're playing, they'll turn their head and check to see if mom and dad are watching them because they want to have this kind of attentional focus that's the same as their caregivers. Or they'll point. Let's say they'll point at a doggy walking by, and then they'll look back at their caregiver, and they'll look back at the dog. They're trying to create a triangle of attention between themselves, an object, and a caregiver. And they're constantly doing things like walking over to the parents, putting a toy in their lap, looking up at their parents' face, and looking back at the toy. Those are all social communication gestures. And this checklist actually has a lot of questions that probe for the existence of social communication in babies. If babies aren't doing things like pointing or looking at mom or dad to make sure they're checking in, that's a red flag because they're not showing normal social communication. Actually speaking or not speaking isn't really quite as important. It's a red flag for autism if the kids are not doing other things that they should be doing, but by itself, not talking isn't as important as these other more subtle social communication behaviors. Why is it so beneficial to diagnose autism by age one? We use this screening tool to try to catch kids who are what we call, quote-unquote, at risk for autism. We don't give a final diagnosis of autism at age one because at that point, children are still developing and it's really not possible to be 100% certain if the child has autism at such a young age. So what we do is when a baby fails a screening tool and then they come into our center and we do in-depth testing of their social behavior and their language and their cognitive skills, if they're not meeting normal developmental milestones, like if they're not pointing, as I said earlier, um, if they're not babbling, if they are not doing some of the other things that we expect at that age, we'll tell the parents and we'll say, okay, Johnny's doing great, but he's not meeting milestones in his language. He's not meeting his social milestones. He's not meeting his cognitive milestones. So we're going to send him out for early treatment because he is at risk for having some sort of a developmental delay. And then if they come back, they come back to our center every six months and they get the same battery of tests. So at 18 months, they come back, and then at 24, and then at 30, 
And at some point, the language that we'll use with the family might be stronger, and we'll say he's at risk for an autism spectrum disorder, maybe at 18 months or 24 months. And then by the time the child is three, we give a final diagnosis. And we kind of back away from giving a final diagnosis at a young age, even if it's very clear that this child is on a very strong path to autism, because it's very sensitive for parents. Understandably, this is their new baby, and at this point, there's no benefit to having a label or not having a label at such a young age. The most important thing is finding out where the child's weaknesses are and getting those corrected. And that label of autism can certainly cover a very broad spectrum in terms of severity, right? Yeah, there's a wide range. I mean, some children with autism, they got language skills, their IQ scores are, you know, the average IQ score of the average American is 100, and some kids with autism have an IQ of 120. You know, they're wonderfully bright in many cases. And then some children with autism are having lots of cognitive problems, and, you know, their IQ might be 50 or 60. So there is a wide range, for sure. The numbers suggest that about 1 in 100 children may have autism. Is the rate of autism on the rise, or is it just that doctors are getting better at diagnosing it? I don't think anyone is 100% clear on the answer to that question. A lot of it is certainly increased awareness. And then also, back in the olden times, there was only one thing in the Bible that people used to assign diagnoses, and that was autistic disorder. Then later on, they added in the categories of PDD, NOS. And then later on, they added in the category of Asperger syndrome. And so if you're counting more things, obviously the prevalence of a disorder is going to go up if you're including more things under that general umbrella. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, the modern technological age, we now have electronic records. Electronic records are just really making things more accurate, and that's a lot of it. And again, the increased awareness. People are much more aware of autism today than they were 20 years ago. Is research making much progress in terms of determining what causes autism? Yeah, I think so. The National Institute of Health, which actually funds our ACE Center, I'm part of the Autism Center of Excellence at UCSD, and they funded many centers across the country, and they put a lot of research funding into discovering the causes and cures for autism. And so I think we've made a lot of advances. People are looking for the genes for autism, biomarkers for autism, and some of these studies are just now starting to come out. It's definitely a complex disorder, and we haven't found all the answers yet, but I'm really impressed with the progress that my fellow scientists are making and that we're making at our center, and also with the support of NIH to fund all this research. Do you have any final words of advice for parents who may be dealing with an autistic child? Yeah. The most important thing to do is to know that your child is really special and to just try to give as many experiences to your child as you can, whether it's through treatment or through interacting with kids on your streets on a play date, and I've seen a lot of wonderful changes happen with kids with autism with early treatment, but even if your child is older, there's still a lot of gains that can be made, and I know when you get that diagnosis, it's kind of a visceral response, but really, kids with autism, especially today, are doing exceptionally well, and there's a lot of support systems in place through the school and through continuing education after they graduate from high school, and I know quite a few people who have gone on actually to college and to have jobs and social friends and, you know, things like that, you know, good things will happen. It's not easy, but there's a lot of support out there, and you just kind of look for it and take advantage of all the systems that are in place, and it's a good time at this point to be in the field of autism and to be a family in the field of autism. Dr. Karen Pierce from the University of California, San Diego. Is there any place where you recommend people learn more online? Our website is a great place, autism-center.ucsd.edu. There's also Autism Speaks. It's a national organization that has a video glossary that you can actually look online and get some video examples of what kids with autism look like if you're an educator and you want to learn or if you're a concerned parent and you want to see what some of the signs are. And so those are some places to look. Excellent information. Thank you very much for joining us on InfoTrack. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you.
And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.